At Qualcomm, we believe in staying connected, and you can see us wherever 5G is helping transform telemedicine, supporting remote education, and powering mobile PCs. The Invention Age is here. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash invention age. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Hello, hello, hello. This is Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. So today we have um, a very, very important show. I mean, this is my question to you. How many of you have a bad habit? Could it be smoking or eating, the general ones? Or Kim and I had this one friend, he's not a friend anymore. The guy was a habitual liar. I mean, he, you know, we'd say, here's a dog. He says, no, that's a mountain lion. You know, he, he couldn't help but lie. So it was a habit, but I think it was an addiction to him. But also what this program is, how many of you are trying to change? Do you know, I mean, how many of you are in the, what we call the working class and not getting ahead? How many are struggling day to day trying to make ends meet with money? See, those are habits. And today we have a very, 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 very great author, works for the New York Times. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times. He's Charles Duhigg, and his book is called Habit. The Power of Habit. And Why so, we do what we do in life and business. So for those of you who need to change some of your habits or possibly your addictions, this is your program for you. If you want to just get out of what I call the day-to-day -day paycheck grind, you know, and, and realizing you're probably going to lose your job anyway. I mean, you know, the way things are going, if you don't change your habits, this is your program. So welcome to the program, Charles. Thanks for having me on. Why did you write this book? I mean, what, what, what is your interest in habit? Well, you know, yeah, I, uh, I started working on this right before my... Um my wife and I had our first son, our first child. And part of it, a lot of it came from sort of a personal desire, which was that I felt like I was a pretty, like, you know, smart and successful person. And yet I felt like there were all these habits that I didn't really have complete control over. And I didn't understand why. You know, it was hard for me to exercise in the morning, even though, you know, I'm I'm someone who should be able to make myself exercise. I can make myself work hard. So why was it so hard to exercise? When when our son was born and he got a little bit older, we would start feeding him these um these chicken nuggets, which people are probably familiar with if you've ever had a two year old in your house. <laughs> and like I would come home from from like a long day at work and sit down and I didn't even like these chicken nuggets, but I would just like pick one up and pop it into my mouth, even though I knew that they were not healthy for me. I should not be eating them. And so I was just really curious, why do habits emerge in our lives? Why, why do they feel so powerful, particularly or, or even for people who are, have a lot of self-control and are successful? And what I learned as I started talking to researchers was that we're actually living through this golden age of understanding the neurology of habit formation. We know no more about how habits work now than we have ever learned before. And, and once you understand how habits work, you have this power to change them. And so I thought that was worth sharing with other people. So um, are you not eating kale chip habits? I mean, chicken nuggets? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, is it, is it um, did you change the chicken nugget thing? I did. I did. I changed the chicken nugget habit. And it's interesting you bring up kale chips because kale is actually something that comes up a lot when, I, uh, when I'm talking about habits. The, the, the core insight about how habits function 
is that every habit, and about 40 to 45% of what we do every day is actually a habit, according to studies, particularly by a woman named Wendy Wood at USC. Um, and, and what's important to know about habits is that every habit has three parts, right? We think of it as a behavior, but it's not actually just that. A, a habit is a cue, which is like a trigger for an automatic behavior to start. And then a routine, which is the behavior itself, which is the, the part that we've come to think of as the habit. And then finally, a reward. And that reward is how your brain learns to kind of encode or chunk this cue routine reward into one little package that happens automatically in okay, our so, lives. That's so, what, so, so one more thing. It was, yeah. There's a cue. What, what's an example of a, a cue? There's a routine and so then there's a, a reward. That's right. So there's three parts, a cue, a routine, and a reward. And, and what we've learned is that you really have to be able to diagnose the cue and the reward if you want to change the behavior, if you want to change the habit. So, Identifying so, that cue and reward is, is, is critical. So, so let's what's use the chicken nugget. Yeah. What's an what are some examples of cues? So, so cues are usually like um, a time of day or a certain place. Let, instead of the chicken nugget, let me bring up one of eating a cookie. When I first started writing The Power of Habit, I had this bad habit of eating a cookie every afternoon. Um, and, and when I was talking to researchers, I asked them the same thing. So what's the cue for this? And they said, well, a cue usually is one of five things, either a time of day or a certain place or the presence of certain other people or a certain emotion or a behavior that's become ritualized. So whenever you feel that cookie urge, just write it down. Like write down those five things. What time of day is it? Who else is standing by you? How do you feel? And within like three days of doing that, it was clear that the cookie urge always hit between 3.15 and 3.45 in the afternoon. So clearly for me, the cue to go eat a cookie up at the cafeteria at the New York Times was a time of day. And that's an example of a cue. For other people, it might be that, for instance, if you want to start an exercise routine, an exercise habit, one of the best things that you can do is you can choose a cue, like putting your running shoes next to your bed so you see them when you wake up in the morning. Or always meet, plan on meeting your friend at the gym at 11, or, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning on, on Wednesdays. A time of day, the presence of certain other people, those will become the cue that triggers the habit. So time of day, emotion, other people and then write it down, and then you notice your pattern, you're running? Exactly, exactly. Now, but what's important is that is to keep in mind, so the cue is like the trigger for the habit, right? Okay. But what's really important is the reward, because the cue starts the habit, the, the routine is the behavior itself, but the reason why that, that cue and that routine get easier and easier and easier, the reason why you do it automatically is because your brain begins to anticipate the reward it's going to deliver. Right? And that reward is the key to how we can change habits or how we can build them. So, so let's take my cookie example, for, for, for instance. So I was talking to all these researchers, right? And, and the way that I would always do it is I'd say, like, I have this friend with a cookie habit. <laughs> and, of course, and so it's always somebody else. What, we, <laughs> exactly. We figured out what the cue was. The cue was a certain time of day that I would have this urge to go eat a cookie. And then, and then the routine was that I'd get up from my desk, I'd walk to the elevator, I'd take the elevator up to the 14th floor, I'd go get a cookie. And, and the researchers said, well, you've got to figure out what the reward is if you want to change that habit. And I said, well, it's, I mean, obvious, right? Like the, the reward's a cookie. It tastes really good. And they said, no, 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 no. Rewards are much more complicated than that. It, for instance, a, a cookie is like a bundle of like 12 or 13 rewards all in one little tasty package. Is it, is it that you're craving, um, you know, a taste sensation? In which case, if you go up to, to the cafeteria and you just get something else, like some sweet soda, maybe that'll, that'll do the trick. Or is it that 
that you're hungry, in which case you could go up to the cafeteria, you could just have an apple instead of a cookie? Or is it that you just, you're craving a break from work, in which case getting up from your desk and just going for a walk around the block instead of going up to the cafeteria, that should deliver the same reward. And they said the only way you can figure out what the reward for that cookie habit is, is if you kind of experiment with different things over a couple of different days. Try these different things. Have a cookie or have a soda, have an apple, take a walk. And so for the next two weeks, that's what I did. Every day I experimented with a different kind of behavior to see if the reward that it provided satisfied me, got rid of the cookie urge. And what I figured out, and it actually only took about six days, was that the cue was, you know, a certain time of day between 3.15 and 3.45. I'd go up to the cafeteria. I'd go buy the cookie. And then usually I'd see like three or four of my friends in the cafeteria. And so I'd sit down with them and we would like gossip for, you know, 20 or 25 minutes while I was eating my cookie. And it turns out that that was the reward. It was the socialization was the, was the reward that I was craving. The cookie was just kind of like an excuse to go talk to other people. But I had been doing this for, you know, a year and hadn't realized that until I started experimenting with it, until someone drew my attention to looking for these cues and these rewards. And so now, every afternoon, what I do is I changed the habit. At about 3.15 or 3.20, I, I stand up and I look for someone to go gossip with, and I walk <laughs> to their desk, and we gossip for 20 or 25 minutes, and then, and then I walk back to my desk. It's the same cue and the same reward. I just change the behavior, the routine, and the cookie are just totally gone. And that's how habits work. Habits are this cue, routine, and reward. And we tend to focus on the behavior, on the routine. But if you can learn to diagnose the cue and the reward, that's how you gain control. That's how you gain power over your habits. Once again, that's Robert Kiyosaki the Rich Dad Radio Show. Our guest today is Charles Juhig. Um, he's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. Congratulations on that, the New York Times. Thanks. And he's the author of the book called The Power of Habit, What We Do, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. And his latest book is Smarter, Better, Faster, The Transformative Power of Real Productivity. And we're talking today about the habits. How many of you have bad habits? And some of them are addictions, which are a little deeper, but a bad habit. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, well, I would like to ask, Charles, what I, what I hear you saying is because when I have always talked about or heard about changing habits, how to change, it always took willpower. It's like you have to have willpower. Yeah, and so that's a really interesting insight, right, which is that what is this relationship between willpower and habits? Because we know that some willpower is needed to change a habit. But the interesting thing is that studies have shown us that willpower is kind of like a muscle, right? It, it, it can get tired over time and with use. It can also get stronger the more that you exercise it. And the issue is that what, one of the things that we know is that willpower will often spark a change, at least in the short term. Someone can power through saying, I want to give up cigarettes or I'm going to stick to this diet. But that over time, our willpower can become tired. Yeah. And, and what often happens is that people relapse into an old habit. And so the question then becomes, so how do we sidestep that? How do we make our willpower strong enough? And the answer is that if you can change a habit, it often, it actually doesn't use the same neurological system that willpower does. The, the, the interesting thing about a habit is that it feels kind of automatic, right? It feels like it happens effortlessly. And that's because it doesn't actually draw on our willpower. Changing it can at first, but that once, it, once a behavior becomes ingrained as a habit, you don't have to use willpower to exert it. It just happens automatically. It uses a part of the brain known as the basal ganglia, which is actually designed to create habits. 
if you think about people who are very successful, you know, people who exercise every day, right? A lot of them will tell you that it doesn't take any willpower to exercise at this point. They just do it automatically. It's become a habit. And that's what the key is, is to find the behaviors that you want to encourage in your life and make them into habits by identifying these cues and these rewards that help make those behaviors more automatic so that you don't have to rely on on your on the the parts of your brain related to willpower instead you can just kind of let this automatic behavior take over so once again it's robert kiyosaki the rich day radio show our guest today is charles duhigg and the question to all of you how many start thinking about the habits you may have that are actually getting in the way of your life so when we come back we'll be going more into what you can do to change your life by possibly changing your habits you're listening to the rich dad radio show with robert kiyosaki Thanks for tuning in to the Rich Dad Radio Show. If you like what you're hearing, go to iTunes or Android, subscribe to the show, and leave a rating and review to help other financially-minded people like you find the Rich Dad Radio Show. Thanks for tuning in, and keep on learning. And now, the Rich Dad Radio Show and the Rich Dad Company voicemail box are proud to present Rich Dad's number one fans. Hello, this is a prepaid debit call from an inmate at the Santa Clara County Elmwood Correctional Facility. To accept this call, press zero. To refuse this call, hang up or press one. To prevent calls from this facility, press 9. Rich Dad's number one fans. Every business owner and real estate investor needs asset protection. Entities like LLCs. S or C Corps are vital to protect yourself and your business. Let Corporate Direct guide you through the process of forming a corporation or LLC. Corporate Direct is owned by Rich Dad Advisor Garrett Sutton and is Robert Kiyosaki's choice for corporate formation. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off a formation. Call 800 600 1760. That's 800 600 1760. Or visit online at corporatedirect.com. That's CorporateDirect.com. Financial freedom begins with financial education. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show. Welcome back. Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Radio Show. The good news and bad news about money. And you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android. And you can hear, you can, we also archive every one of our radio programs. And the reason we archive them at richdadradio.com is one of the ways we learn is via repetition, a habit. So simply go to richdadradio.com and listen to this program again. Our guest today is Charles Duhigg. He's author and Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter for the New York Times. And he is the author of The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. So once again, I ask you this question. What habit is in your way of getting on with your life? And what we're going to soon discuss with Charles is what was the purpose of habits anyway? What, did, Why do we have, make them? Any comments, Kim? Well, 
I, you know, we all have, we all have, we have good habits and we have bad habits. Not and me. Uh, yeah, not you. Um, Charles, but, my ha- my bad habit is Chinese food. I can't stop anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that, that, that Chinese food. It's like, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> but so Charles, um, you know, Robert mentioned in the in the first segment about addictions. Are addictions habits? Can you change addictions through this through your your uh, process? Yeah, actually, so uh, uh, about five years ago, the the National Association of Addiction Specialists got together to to redefine what the technical definition of addictions is are, and it meant in. For most addictions, they were defined as a habit dysfunction, right? Because most of the things that we think of, we know that addiction and habits occur in the same part of the brain. And many things that we think of as addictive behaviors don't actually involve exterior substances, right? So if you have a gambling addiction or a pornography addiction, it's not because you're taking a drug. There's no, there's no exterior drug entering your system. Rather, it's a learned habit dysfunction, a, a, a mistake of the learning system within our brain brain. And so there are some addictions which are obviously physically physical addictions, particularly opioid addictions. But many of the things that we think of as addictions are in fact habit dysfunctions. Well, and the way that we attack them is the same way that we change habits. You know, I, I travel constantly and I'm always surprised, you know, at seven thirty in the morning in first class, some guys are already sucking down their scotch scotch and water and all this stuff and going, Jesus, it's you know my habit is at five, not seven. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's exactly right. I think that many people that they they learn a behavior, like for instance, using alcohol as a relaxation technique, right? And they come to crave that relaxation, and we know that it works. Uh, alcohol is a relaxant, and so many people build a whole set of mental habits around having a drink that allows them to relax. It tells them that that it's okay to relax. They come to expect the physical. Um, sensation of alcohol as and associated with relaxation so so what did but you call so what did you call an addiction it goes beyond a habit then right well it's a habit dysfunction right it, it typically typically what happens when someone has an addiction that isn't necessarily chemical in nature is that they've learned to associate a cue and a routine and a reward with a particular behavior that's become ritualized have you ever and, worked and have, they come I think I think you mentioned the twelve step program with AA and all this. I mean, how does that yeah. how does that work on the habit and the addiction? So in the power of habit, there's actually a whole chapter about AA um, because one of the things that we know is that AA is actually probably the the most success, sustainably successful habit change system sort of in history. And and that doesn't mean it works for everyone. It doesn't mean it's perfect. But what's interesting about AA is that it was designed by people who don't have a scientific background, right? It was designed, the reason why there's 12 steps is because Bill W., the guy who created AA, he was coming up with the steps for AA while sitting in a hotel room, and he had a Bible next to his bed because he was in a hotel room, his Gideon's Bible, and he chose 12 because there's 12 apostles. So there's not necessarily a scientific rationale for much of what AA does, but the reason why it's been so successful is because it sort of embraces this idea of cues and rewards, but right? That, what that, it recognizes that, doesn't, wait, doesn't it go into what you said in your book about you have to kind of modify the process, or you have to modify the you have to modify the behavior, behavior. once you identify the cue and the reward. So going to twelve, so, so, from, so going to twelve steps, you've already taken a step. Well, so so think about how most people end up 
getting into a drinking habit, right? They, they come home from work and they've had a long and hard day. And so that's the cue, right, is they're coming home and they're, they're tense. And then the routine is that they pour themselves a drink. And the reward is that you feel this sense of relaxation and almost cathartic, um, cathartic sort of emotional experience. Get high. And for many years, when people are trying to stop drinking, they would say, look, just quit drinking, right? Just, just put away the liquor. But the problem is that you still crave that reward. You crave the reward that the drinking would give you. And you still experience the cue every single day. You come home from work and you're tense. And so what AA said is, okay, if you get home from work and you're tense, there's your cue. Instead of pouring a drink, come to a meeting. And at an AA meeting, and if anyone listening has never been to one, you, can go, you should go to one sometime. You don't have to be an alcoholic to go. They're really interesting. At a meeting, usually what happens is that people share, right? You stand up and you tell your story and you talk about what's bothering you. It's a cathartic experience. It feels somewhat emotional. You get that same reward from a meeting that you got from having a drink. It's just now you're doing it in a, in a church basement as opposed to doing it in a bar, but the reason why this is important is because AA recognizes that you need to keep the old cue and do something that delivers simple, something similar to the old reward. It's, it's changing the behavior once you've diagnosed the cue and the reward. In psychology, this is actually known as the golden rule of habit change, which says instead of trying to extinguish a habit, mm. you should focus on changing it because that's going to be much, much more successful. So the cue is the same. You keep the same cue. You don't try and change that where a lot of people using willpower or using force are like, I'm going to just change everything. So you keep the exactly. same cue, the, then the behavior and the reward are different. So you go to an AA that's meeting and you talk to your friends. That's exactly right. And what's important is that it's it's not even like you're changing the reward that much as much as you're looking for a new behavior okay. that delivers something similar to the old reward because you're still going to have a craving for that reward. Yeah, see, that's what I picked up on reading your book is it was the change of the routine, the not necessarily yeah, the, the reward. Got it. That's exactly right. So when you go to this AA meeting, you hang out with your friends and you're drinking black coffee instead of vodka and wine and all that stuff, well, that's exactly right. The routine has changed, but it's delivering a reward that's similar to what you got before. Most right. people start drinking because they're looking to relax. And, and so, one of the ways that you can relax is to go and talk to friends and talk about things that really matter to you. It feels relaxing and cathartic. So what happens if you don't have any friends? I'm like, get a child. <laughs> then you've got other issues. <laughs> well, that's the nice thing, too, about an AA meeting is you don't have to know anyone to show up. Like right, Everyone's right. your friend yep. with the, the moment you walk in the door. So why does it change the habit or the addiction? What, what does that 12 steps do? How does it, is it an interrupter? Well, actually, what's interesting about the 12 steps is if you look at it, most of them are designed to make you identify cues or rewards, right? So, so one of the steps is, for instance, that you go and you make a full accounting of your, your, your past sins. And you, and you go and you usually apologize to people for that. Uh, it, one of it's the almost like confession in a Catholic do, church. A little bit, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And one of the things that that makes you do is it makes you really identify the cues that caused you to drink. Oh, right? okay. If you're going to your friends and you're like, look at that party, I was really, really nervous, and I felt socially awkward, so I started drinking too much, and that's why I like did that dumb thing. It's really forcing you to identify the cues and, yeah. in part, the rewards. That's fantastic. But the other thing... The other thing that AA does, that 12 Steps do, is, you know, there's this, and, and AA has been criticized for this, there's this um, emphasis on a higher power in AA, that you're supposed to sort of submit to a higher power. And that could be God, or it could be nature, or whatever you want it to be. And, and the reason why researchers think that that's powerful is not necessarily because it has a religious element. It's because 
AA is a setting where people can practice believing in something. Right. And one of the things that we know is that change is easier when people believe that they can change. Correct. And AA is kind of a way to practice believing in your capacity for change. Correct. And we know that practicing that, that capacity, pr practicing belief, makes it easier to believe that you yourself can also change. Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Our guest today is Charles Duhigg, and he's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times. <laughs> Man, congratulations for that. And then he's the author of the book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. Also, his latest book is Smarter, Better, Faster, The Transformative Power of Real Productivity. His website is charlesduhigg.com, C-H-A-R-L-E-S-D-U-H-I-G-G.com. And we're talking about the power of habits or bad habits, as the case may be. Any comments, Kim? Yes, Charles. Um, in your book, you talk about that there are certain habits, you call them keystone habits, that once they're, you say, once they're broken or adopted, they tend to produce a landslide of other positive changes. Like this is one thing you can do, and it can affect a lot of different things. What what is a what's a keystone habit? Well, a keystone habit is exactly what you mentioned. In the academic literature, it's something that that when it changes, it seems to set off a chain reaction. So for many people, um, exercise is a keystone habit. We know from studies, there's these researchers named Oten and Chang in Australia who have studied this pretty extensively, that when people start exercising habitually, it tends to change how they eat, right? And, and, and that kind of makes sense. We've all experienced that. You go for a run in the morning, and then, you know, when you walk into lunch, you get a salad instead of a hamburger. But what's interesting is that when, when Oten and Chang have looked at people who start exercising habitually, they've also found that when people start exercising, they tend to use their credit cards less frequently. They, really? they procrastinate about 20% less at work. They tend to um, do their dishes, wash their dishes earlier in the day. And m most people aren't even aware that this change is happening. But for many people, exercise is a keystone habit, that it sets off a chain reaction that changes other behaviors, other patterns in their life, and, and sometimes even without them realizing it. And so one of the things that researchers have said is that it's very important to try and identify what the keystone habits are in your life, because if you focus on those, you'll have a disproportionate success. If you can change them, it'll change other things. What, what, would, um, what would be some other examples? Well, it it's different for person to person and place to place. What's interesting is that for some people, for instance, um, exercise is a keystone habit, for, particularly for people who haven't exercised in the past. But for people who like were high school athletes, exercise tends not to be a keystone habit. And what we know is that the keystone habits tend to be those things that somehow influence, almost on a subconscious level, our self-image. So, for instance, if you're someone like me who, before I started writing this book, never exercised regularly, the thing about exercise is that it seems kind of like irrationally scary, right? Like you put off starting that running routine because you don't know like what to wear and you don't know what path to take and you think you're going to look really like an idiot jogging down the street. And so when you finally do start running, when you start that exercise habit, it actually changes how you see yourself. It changes your, your self-image. That's fantastic. And that tends that tends to reverberate through your life. So the way that people can figure out what their own self, what their own keystone habits are, is to ask themselves what kind of change seems kind of irrationally scary. Because if it seems irrationally scary, it probably will influence your self-image if you start to change it. Charles, that is you know fantastic. So it's self-image, 
what a keystone habit can change your self-image, but also habits include cues, the routine, and the reward. And for many people, like you say, the cookie or going to AA was that you actually get to talk to other people and things like this. So we come back, we're gonna go into why, you know, I what I've noticed with people when it comes to money, many of them are stuck in a habit, but also a class habit when it comes to money. So we come back, we'll be going more into habits and how you can change your, possibly change your financial habits. You're listening to the Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. Rich Dad Coaching offers a phenomenal variety of services and custom strategies, all aimed at ensuring a secure, comfortable, and rich future for you and your family. Now you can get weekly access to exclusive Rich Dad Coaching services through our live stream events. Go to richdad.com and click on the on-demand banner at the top of the homepage. Great new videos are updated regularly. Get inside knowledge and insights from Robert Kiyosaki himself, Rich Dad Coaching professionals, and more. Go to richdad.com and click on the on-demand banner at the top of the homepage. This is the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. Here's Robert Kiyosaki. Welcome back, Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about your habits. And you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio program on your time and your schedule, anytime, anywhere, on iTunes or Android. And all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. Our guest today is Charles Duhigg, is the author and Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times. And his book we're discussing today is The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. His website is charlesduhigg.com. Any comments, Kim? Well, I think this is all fascinating, and um, I, I want to get right into the, the financial habits. I mean, this is why, you know, we come, we as we travel all over the the world, Charles, we're seeing people, and they and they so want to change their financial habits, and they so want to go from where they are to someplace better. So, so Charles, this is a, uh, I thought it was fascinating. Where I was talking to you prior to coming on the air, and you're shifting from the New York Times paper to the New York Times magazine, and you said that you're going to be writing kind of on the economy or business and what's happening with people. That's right. Yeah. So that's one of the. So I'll be writing more for the magazine now and and for other magazines and and yeah, in large part focusing on that question of trying to explain sort of what's going on in the economy. So if, you know that's why uh, the Rich Dad Radio program is here and what we do. The Rich Dad Company was formed twenty something years ago. Is that this is my cons- personal concern, Charles? Is that we have no financial education in our schools. And what most people don't realize that money changed in 1971 when Nixon took us off the gold standard. And the most silly thing I hear today, all these financial planners say, save money. That, you know, as a person who has studied money for most of my life, why would you save money? It's not a good habit because they can print money faster than you could ever save it. And then they invest for the long term in the stock market when they have HFT, high-frequency trading, and you and I know this thing is topping, the markets crash every 10 years, and these guys are saving money in the stock market. I sit there going, oh my God, we're in for a disaster, but every time I say something about this word save, because it's not money anymore, that's when I get into my heated discussions, you know, oftentimes with reporters. <laughs> I've, well, I I'm not. I'm persona non grata sometimes at the times, but they're kind of open-minded. You know, I'm sending them more stuff. 
Well, I think certainly, you know, the the and I think you've written a lot about this very eloquently. Oh. That 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 the more financial literacy we have, the more we we learn about how money functions, the more that we empower ourselves, right? Certainly, certainly we know that for some people, um, investing, for instance, in four hundred one ks, which is a method of saving, forcing ourselves to save, has has yielded huge dividends, right? That that particularly if you can do so in a tax advantaged way. Um, and I think the more that people learn about how to how to influence themselves and how to protect against their own worst instincts and encourage their best instincts, the more they're empowered to to make wise financial decisions. But so my question to you is like, you know, I personally the four hundred one k came out around seventy four, the same time Nixon was taking the dollar off the gold standard. And in my opinion, the four hundred one k only made Wall Street richer and. In my opinion, you know, Wall Street's fairly corrupt right now. So anyway, when I go on, I, on the air and I say, well, how can you tell people to save money to in the Fed and all this stuff? The, the problem is people don't understand or have, I have a hard time explaining the whole system of money. Money is no longer money. It's a currency. It's fiat. And every government can print as much as they like. You know, when I graduated from college in the 70s, I could get 15% interest on my savings. Then after Nixon took us off the gold standard, interest rates, I mean, I, I, I might get 2% two, 2 on my money, and they're printing it faster than I can save it. And so when I talk to people about saving money, I just get this huge, visceral reaction because I'm like stepping on the holy grill with this word save, S-A-V-E. What am, what am well, I, I, think for, I think for many people, though, that they, you know— it, Let's take the 401k as an example. I mean, what we know from studies is that the 401k for many people is actually a godsend because because regardless of whether it returns a high rate or a low rate, it forces them to take money and put it aside for retirement. Uh, and I, I, otherwise, they might they might spend that money not on an investment, but on some type of disposable good and that, I, I, that I, would I, not necessarily benefit them in the long run. I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. It was enforced. It was mechanical discipline, if you know what I mean. It goes out of their pocket. That's exactly right. And, and there's a lot of research coming out of behavioral economics that looks at this, that talks about commitment devices, right? Things that make us do what's in our own best interest in the long term, even if in the short term we kind of resent it. And, and that's, a perfect, that's a perfect explanation of what saving is for most people, right? They, they would love to use that money for, for something like a trip right now, but instead there's something that, that enforces discipline. You know, I think for many people, investing is, is also a, a form of enforced discipline, that they, they, they know that they're involved in an investment or perhaps they have debt payments coming up that they have to, they have to service. And so that, that helps them make a wise financial choice as opposed to spending money in the short term, which is more immediately gratifying, but perhaps not quite as wise. So, so let me ask you this, Charles, in, in terms of habits. So, we, you know, a lot of people will come to our programs or they'll read books or your book and um, they go, oh, I should do this. I know that I should do this and I'm going to, you know, I need to go take this action, yet they don't take the action. Is that is that related to habit? When, when they're trying to do something, but they're having trouble actually doing it? Yeah, Absolutely. So I would say that the, that the first thing, and, and actually in Smarter, Faster, Better, there's a whole chapter about motivation and what we know about the ne neurology of motivation. And what we know is that it's much easier to motivate to do something when there's two kind of prerequisites. The first is if you frame it as a choice rather than a command, 
it actually involves parts of our brains that make make action easier. So, so one of the first things to do if you're tr if you're looking at a task is make a choice. Find something about it where you can make a decision, make a choice, because that's going to make it easier to start. But the second thing is that oftentimes we're much more likely to to access our motivation if we can tie a short-term small activity to a larger goal or ambition. Right, so, so I, I was talking to this one neurologist, for instance, who was, a, a, um, he was actually an oncologist, a PhD, an MD-PhD at Oxford. And, and he said that one of the things that he hates doing is he hates grading students' papers because it's just kind of boring. And so before he starts grading students' papers, he goes through this kind of like mantra every single time. What he does is he says, okay, if I grade these students' papers, then the, the university can collect tuition dollars. And if the university can collect tuition dollars, then they can pay for my research. And if they can pay for my research, then I'll be able to, you know, do my cancer research. And if I do my cancer research, I'll save people's lives. So by, by grading these students' papers, I'm helping to save people's lives. Now, this is kind of a ridiculous thing to say, right? <laughs> but, but it works for him. It, helps him. it helps him find the motivation to start grading the students' papers. What's also interesting is this guy is an MD, PhD, right? He's, he's enormously successful, has enormous amount of self-discipline, but he still goes to this like, little mental mantra before he starts grading papers every single time. But and this is why he's successful. But what, yeah, well, that's, what I'm, that's what makes him successful. Yes, that's exactly so right. Would you mind is repeating it, that is again? Is, so that's what makes him successful. You know, a lot of people say to me, well, I'm just doing what I love. I said, sometimes you have to do what you don't love. Well, that's exactly right. But the way that you do what you don't love is by linking it in your mind, framing it as A, a choice, but B, as something that helps you do what you love, tying that small activity to some larger ambition or some so larger you, so, value that you hold. So like with Q, routine and reward and self-image, you do things for the self-image. How do you how does somebody develop the habit of, you know, doing something they don't love so they can get to what they do love? What was it? What well, was I think by f by first of all I figure, like really explicitly linking that thing to what they want, what they actually want, right? right? So like if you're grading students' papers, if you're answering emails, if you're you know, doing something that you don't love, the way to make it easier is to say to yourself, why are you doing this, right? To start with why and say, okay, I'm doing this because it actually gets me closer to this goal or it helps uphold this value that I care about. And once you have that in your head, once you've framed this activity that way, it makes it much, much easier to start and to continue working. And we know this from studies. So that's, but, that's, but that's, that's why I was taught is ask yourself why. What's in it? You know, what's in that's it? That's exactly me. right. So start with the why. But this, the second thing that's also really important is that we know that it's much more helpful that it becomes a habit if you give yourself a reward afterwards, right? And so let's go back to to exercise. You know, we know that that if you get a reward after exercising, and studies show this, that you're more likely to exercise again to make it into a habit. And I thought it was. But think I, about I, how. Well, I thought it was interesting. You said the reward might be a piece of chocolate, which is yeah, counterintuitive. Yeah, actually, there was a. There was a study that was done out of Germany that showed that eating a small piece of chocolate after exercising actually made it more likely that people will develop an exercise habit. But think about how most of us end up exercising. We like wake up in the morning and we go for a run and we get home and then we're running late, right? We got to get the kids to, we like rush to get the kids to school and we rush to our desk and we're behind. So it's a non-reward. Sort of that's exactly right. You're, you're in effect punishing yourself yeah. for exercising, <laughs> yeah. and your brain pays attention to that. Your brain pays attention to how you punish yourself and how you reward yourself. That's, that's, and, that's, and that's, that's fantastic, Charles. That's fantastic. 
So the reward turns into a punishment. That's unless you unless you deliberately reward yourself. So what you should do, according to these studies, is give yourself a piece of chocolate, or or take a nice long shower, or give yourself a smoothie. When you've done something that's hard, if you reward yourself and explicitly reward yourself and allow yourself to enjoy that reward, your brain notices that and it makes it hmm. easier to do that the next time. So the medical doctor, PhD guy, he so he was grading papers, and he gave himself a reward. Yeah, he would go through this mantra, and then he after after he he was ungrading, he always had this like routine that he would give himself either like something to eat or a milkshake or a glass of scotch if it was in the evening. He like very deliberately would reward himself after he was done with that task. But here's what I because like because he knew go ahead. he knew that there was an uh, an influence to it. Yeah, and here's what I like when you're saying you're tying something you don't want to do, but then you tie it to the thing that you love to do or that you want to accomplish. That that's the formula for getting rid of procrastination. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It makes a huge difference. So do you have any examples of the big picture, the big reward, the whatever it is? Well, I, I think it depends from person to person, and it doesn't have to be a big reward, right? M most most habits actually are built on small rewards. In fact, um, there's a there's a, a whole branch of research that's called, known as the science of small wins that looks at what, like, what types of rewards are most influential. And what they found is that the most influential rewards, frankly, are small rewards mm. um, because they tend to, to, to give us sort of compounding motivation. Like n nobody ever, nobody ever says like I'm going to do this thing every single day because 30 years from now it's going to pay off. No, they say I'm going to do this thing every single day because after I do it, I give myself like a small piece of chocolate. Right? Small rewards tend to be the most powerful because we can deliver them quickly and because our brain essentially in what's known as hyperbolic discounting. It, it tends to prioritize an immediate reward as being much more rewarding, particularly when it's unexpected, than a long-term reward that takes a long time to achieve. That's, that's, that's fantastic, sense. because yeah. that's like somebody saying, well, I'm gonna run the marathon and they have an exercise in 20 years. And then they... That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's a great... It's great to set big goals like that, right? Because it helps us, it helps us figure out what to do every single day. But running a marathon is not enough of a reward in and of itself. Oh, it's a pun it's punishment. <laughs> sure, depending if on I, how you feel about it. If I got up every morning and thought about running a marathon, I'd go back to bed. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so once again, uh, Charles, we're, we're out of time. We could go on forever like this. Fantastic book, uh, The Power of Habit. And again, his latest book is Smarter, Faster, Better, The Transformative Power of Real Productivity. Please go to his website, charlesduhig.com. Any comments, Kim? No, thank you, Charles. This this is great, and uh, I I love this piece on the the Q. I mean, it really is. You're really teaching people to be aware of what's going on in their life. I mean, you got to you got to be aware yeah. to see what those cues are. You got to be make be mindful of the reward you're going to give yourself. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this all into practice. I'm excited. So thank you for well, the work you're doing and, and sharing sharing your your gift with the world. It's very very important. Thank yes. you. So when we come back, we're going to ask Robert. You're listening to The Rich Dad Radio Show with Robert Kiyosaki. Every business owner and real estate investor needs asset protection. Entities like LLCs, S, or C Corps are vital to protect yourself and your business. Let Corporate Direct guide you through the process of forming a corporation or LLC. Corporate Direct is owned by Rich Dad Advisor Garrett Sutton and is Robert Kiyosaki's choice for corporate formation. Mention Rich Dad and receive $100 off a formation. Call 
800-600-1760. That's 800-600-1760. Or visit online at corporatedirect.com. That's corporatedirect.com. The key to achieving your dreams is to develop a rich mindset instead of an excuse mindset. Instead of saying, I can't afford that, ask yourself, how can I afford that? It's amazing how a simple shift in thinking can open a world of new ideas and endless possibilities. Let the Rich Dad Company help kickstart your journey to financial freedom. Robert Kiyosaki and the Rich Dad Company have compiled Robert's top secrets to creating a rich mindset, now available in a 10-minute ebook, How to Achieve a Rich Mindset. This offer is available for a limited time only, so get yours today. Get your free ebook, How to Achieve a Rich Mindset. Go to richdad.com and look for the banner. Again, this is available only for a few days, so act fast. Go to richdad.com and look for the How to Achieve a Rich Mindset banner. Log on to richdadradio.com while you listen. Now back to Robert Kiyosaki. Welcome back. Robert Kiyosaki, the Rich Dad Radio Show, the good news and bad news about money. And you can listen to the Rich Dad Radio program anytime, anywhere on iTunes or Android. And all of our programs are archived at richdadradio.com. We archive them so good habit is to listen to this again or share it with your friends, family, or business associate who needs to change some habits. Once again, I char- thank Charles Duhigg, author and Pulitzer Prize winning reporter for the New York Times. He's the author of Smarter, Faster, Better, which came out in 2017. And the book we discussed today is The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and Business. And for anybody with habits, especially bad habits or addictions, you know, please get that book because um, we are creatures of habit. Any comments? Yeah, and, and one thing that we didn't get to, um, we I talked to Charles at the break, and I was asking him, you know, this whole 21-day rule. If you do something for 21 days, will that create a habit? And he said, actually, there's no there's no scientific study that proves that to be the case. And what he said, which I really loved, he goes, in two days, a piece of chocolate can change a habit just by giving yourself a little reward. So I love this cue, you know, be aware of what those cues and those triggers are that are that, that that kick off the habit and then give yourself a little reward. I love that. I mean, we can do that. So, And as I suggested to uh, Charles, there's two books. One is called White Working Class because it's really, we're in a class war right now, big time, between people like Trump and Hillary and Obama. And in the White Working Class is about people who are academic elites like Obama and Hillary versus the white, white working class who most of them don't go to college. And they think, well, the solution is go to college. But as you know, at Rich Dad, we don't think going to college is that good idea. They're even saying it for the first time now. Go to trade school, maybe. But there's no financial education. And that's where the Rich Dad company comes in. We say, look, you better understand money, which is why I don't save money, because they're printing money. Yet New York Times, unfortunately, they keep endorsing saving money and saving in a financial plan and going, oh, my God. But anyway... That's because we're because rich that's people. what most people can. I know, do. but they, they you know they can't even change their habits. So you can submit your questions to ask Robert at richdadradio.com. And now we go to Melissa. And Melissa, what's the first question for Ask Robert? Our first question today, Robert, comes from Emma in Portland, Oregon. Favorite book, Rich Woman. All right, Emma. See, I love Portland, Oregon. We used to live. I went to high school in Portland. Robert and I lived in Portland. My very first property was in Portland. Thank you, Emma. Emma's question is this. She says, how would you advise someone on how to overcome bad habits? <laughs> so let me just say what, what Charles <laughs> said in this book. He says, you know, there's good habits and bad habits, but you got to understand what habits are, why we have habits. And what he says in his book, The Power of Habit, 
is habits are a shortcut to learn. So like we don't have to relearn to brush our teeth every morning. So once we make it a habit, you know, most of us can brush our teeth and think about something else. So a habit was really a learning pattern that becomes part of our daily routine. And so that what, what Charles was saying is that in the cue, the routine and the reward is first got to be aware of the habit and then go through the cue, routine, reward and get his book. Any comments, Kim? Be aware, look, pay attention to what's triggering it, right? You have this bad habit, what's triggering it? Then you've got the behavior and then you give yourself a reward. So I mean, it's, it's pretty straightforward. What else I loved also that he said, because a lot of times we procrastinate, I procrastinate on things I don't want to do. And he said, if you can tie that thing that you don't want to do to something bigger that you love to do or that you really want to accomplish and a big change you want to make, um, then that will relieve the procrastination. So if I don't want to sit down and write an article, I'll go, well, if I write this article, then it will get me into this publication. If I get into this publication, more people will see it and more people will buy Rich Woman and da-da-da. So you tie it to that. That relieves procrastination. So simple. That's so simple. So the next question, please, Melissa. Our next question comes from Bruce in Scottsdale, Arizona. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. The question is, what do you consider good financial habits? That's a good well, question. I, I mean, that's a fantastic question, you know. I'll send you a free book for that one. But anyway, <laughs> as, as you heard what I said is that I study a lot. I flunked out of school because I didn't study because it wasn't my subject. So s step number one is study, but you got to find something that you're interested in. I like money. I studied it. But I think the worst thing that people do is save money. I think we're in for a huge disaster personally. And I've been studying um, Rickard's book, The Road to Ruin, and I'm watching the price of gold right now, and we're taking evasive action now. And in the book, Road to Ruin, is why we're in this economic crisis. And the definition of intelligence is, if you agree with me, you're intelligent, and Ricketts and I agree 100% with each other. You know, the problem is we're printing money. And people still say, save money. So to me, saving money is a stupid habit. It is really stupid. When after 1971, they started printing money. Well, why would you save money in a 401k, a mutual fund, when the biggest, only people getting rich are the guys that are, you're sending the money to, the bankers, the financial planners. Now, if that's the best you can do, then you should do it exactly as Charles says. You know, it's better, it's better to have a mechanical habit where the government just rips the money out of your paycheck every month because you're such an idiot, and they send it to the guys that are stealing from you. Well, that to me is not that smart, but it's better than you going to Kmart and spending it. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, yeah. Well, in in you know some of the, on the smaller scale too on in Rich Dad Poor Dad, you write about some of the early habits that we did, and one of one thing was we hired Betty the bookkeeper because now, we're entrepreneurs. That's a big difference, okay? Right, right. So, but here's the thing: when we hired Betty the bookkeeper, that wasn't the habit. That what it what it forced us to do is twice a month to look at our finances. Which you that became the habit. And Kim became a genius doing that because she had me as a husband. Anyway. <laughs> yes, I'd be nothing without you, sweetheart. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you, you, you were able to correct my bad habits. Well, it, it forced us to look at what was really happening, and that was the habit, to look at our finances every twice a month, what's right. coming in and what's going out. The other habit we had well, was— Well, Betty the bookkeeper was not emotionally attached to no, our numbers, but no. we are. 
So a lot of times we lie about our own numbers because, oh, I don't want to admit yeah. that I'm screwing up or right. I'm an I'm a alcoholic or whatever it is, you know. What do you mean my bar bill is more than my paycheck? You know what I mean? You got to look at that stuff. Right. And, and another habit we had was we had our three piggy banks, you know, one for saving, one for tithing, and one for investing. Um, and that was a habit. Every time we had extra change, we put it in the piggy bank. And the but it was even not an extra change. We did it before we paid anybody else. Yes. Which drove Betty the bookkeeper nuts because she says, well, we you got to pay your bills first. We said, Betty, you pay your bills first. We're going to pay ourselves first. With and that every, was the three yep. piggy banks. Yep. With every single dollar that came in before we did anything, we took 30% off the top and put so it in Betty, our piggy banks. That's Betty, a habit. Betty the bookkeeper is still poor, but we got rich because we changed that habit of paying ourselves first and not paying the bills first. And it's still a habit we do today, just Correct. bigger numbers. And the other thing we do is we don't ever say to ourselves, you can't have anything. If I want a new Ferrari, I go get it. But I first have to acquire an asset that pays for the Ferrari. Now that takes extreme difficulty, difficult, I mean extreme dedication and discipline to do that. But that's why we have Rich Dad's Coaching, Rich Dad's Education, online programs. You really got to get financially educated because if you have a bad habit of listening to your school teachers, financial planners, or your mommy and daddy, or your friends, you'll probably be poor. You know, do you realize over 60% of Americans can't get their hands on 500 bucks in an emergency? And you go listen to those idiots? That's a bad habit. So anyway, that's why all of you are listening to Rich Dad Radio, thinking, and and really I love this guy Charles Dewey because it's really not about big things, it's about the little things. Our, 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 our money habits are very, very good. You know, like I wanted a new Ferrari. I can have anything I want. I just have to first go find an asset that pays for the Ferrari. Well, I can't do that. Well, we started off with Betty the bookkeeper. That's why, idiot. You know what I mean? And we pay ourselves first. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then you have a problem. And that's a bad habit. I mean, a lot of people have a, habits they don't even realize they have. I mean, yeah. I hear it a lot, a lot of times from women. I hear this, oh, my eyes glaze over when I look at the numbers. Oh, I leave that all up to my husband. Oh, I, I don't want to look at it. Oh, the, the, the statement came in. I'm not going to open it. It's like those are all bad habits. I mean, they do it unconsciously. It's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, well, you my, better, if you want to be more secure in your life, you better start changing some of those bad habits. And if my husband and my husband's fooling around, I'm going to divorce him and take every penny he's got. That's their, that's their big well, that's reward. A, that's a business plan. They're, they're, <laughs> they're going to dump their husband. And we've seen it every single day. I mean, I hear about it every single day. And their business plan is divorce the old guy and take their money. And next question, Melissa. <laughs> Our next question comes from Chase in Reno, Nevada. Favorite book, Midas Touch. His question is this. Are we born with our bad habits, or do we acquire them from the environment surrounding us? I think it's a little bit of both. And the reason I recommend Miracle Morning is because Miracle Morning has allowed me to become a student of the mind, pretty much. So I, I, I observe my thoughts. And it's really interesting to observe my thoughts every day. I'm just kind of screwed up. You know, I've got this goofy thought here, this goofy thought there. You know, I have a huge ego. By the way, there's a book called Ego is Anime. We injured, we, fantastic book. Is most of us are running by our egos. So it's a matter of just being aware, which is what Charles is saying. So you start with that, becoming aware. Any comments on that, Kim? Well, I think, I think a lot of them, too, are learned. And I was just laughing because... Um, Charles talks about a thing called keystone habits, and these are things that if you do like exercise, a lot of other good things will come of it. And one of the examples in his book is making your bed each morning. And I asked him about that, and he said, well, some people, that's how they feel like in control. They feel out of control in their lives, so making their bed each morning puts them in control. And I think, 
God, I never ever make my bed. And I'm looking back, why don't I ever make my bed? And I and I remember as a kid, every morning, got to make your bed, Kim. You got to make your bed, Kim. So I think it's just rebellion. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> rebelling from when I was a kid. I don't want to make my bed. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> and, if you, and if you hire a bed as a bookkeeper, you can then you can hire somebody to make your bed. There you for go. You. There you go. <laughs> so once again, I want to thank Charles Joey Hague and thank you all for being fans of the Rich Dad Radio program. And you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at richdadradio.com. So please be aware of your habits and go out there and become richer and happier. Thank you.